as we step into Ruth chapter 2, we're going to see some events that might look like things just happen. Things just are coincidental. Even the, the author of Ruth gets into a little bit of coincidental conversation. He actually said, the, whoever wrote the book actually says that, that it just happened that Ruth gleaned in the field of Boaz, which we're going to look at this morning. And so, again, I'll encourage you as we work our way through this, this story builds. And you'll be able to connect with what's going on here today, but I would encourage you to start at the beginning and to stay with us. Those of you online, you can watch the video. Those of you in the room, you can watch the videos each week, or there's audios. You can just stay in track because your Ruth is going to walk through a process. And it's important for us to stick with that process. And so in chapter 2, because remember, God's not mentioned a lot in Ruth. He's not mentioned a lot. And so Ruth, as she enters into this sort of journey, she just, the author says she happens to glean in a particular field. But that, that is very clear that that author saying that means that God's at work. And the reason we know that God's at work is because going back to chapter 1, we saw that Ruth made a choice for life. She chose life. And she chose God himself who is life. And in doing that, that put her feet in the right direction. It moved her in the right direction and it headed her toward him. And what we'll find in chapter 2 is how God uses that choice of life that she made to lead her to someone unexpected. She has an unexpected meeting this meeting has a chance to change everything for Ruth and for Naomi. And it was not on their radar when they packed up and moved from Moab. So just a reminder, Ruth is a real story that happened. But it's a real story that the Holy Spirit recorded through the authors in Scripture in such a way that it shares deep spiritual truths. And so, as you think through this and you meditate on what I share this morning, yes, you know, try to put yourself in these people's story and try to connect with it. But my encouragement to you is try to look past that story and try to see some of the bigger pictures that God is trying to communicate. Don't get stuck in the minutia of the details of, well, what was Naomi thinking or what was Ruth thinking? But what's the bigger thing that God is trying to communicate to you? To us. And so our one big idea for today and our one big spiritual truth that we want to grab from this passage is that those who choose life, the tree of life as we talked about last week, are led to Jesus. Remember where we started. We started with separation from God is death, whether that's literal or experiential. Then we went to last week the two trees pictured by Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. A, a choice of three choices, a choice of good and evil, which comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or a choice of life, which is the third choice. And that's the choice that Ruth takes. She chooses life. She chooses to gamble everything to find life, to find God himself. And in doing that, we're going to find out today that she's led to Jesus. But there's a leading to Jesus. And so let, um, let's look at Ruth and Naomi 
We left them last week. The to-be-continued flashed on the screen. And so here's your quick recap of what happened in last week's episode. They were right at the precipice of entering into Bethlehem. And as they were entering into Bethlehem, it was the time of harvest. It was the time of new life. It was the time of beginning. And they're standing on the verge of something new. So let's pick it up. Ruth 2, 1 through 3. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come. There it is, right? She happened to come, means God was involved. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So right off, we are introduced to Boaz, a relative of Elimelech. And his name means strength. It actually literally means in him is strength. He's wealthy and he's a worthy man. He's wealthy and he's a worthy man. Now, I said that the main point was that those who choose life are led to Jesus. Boaz is an allegorical type of Jesus. He's a picture of Jesus. He's like Aslan in the Narnia stories. He's the type of Jesus. And so as you look at Boaz, the spiritual meaning behind Boaz is this is a picture of Jesus. And we get that by looking back through the lens of the New Testament and interpreting what's in the Old Testament. And so notice how Ruth, though, look at Ruth. She is identified still as a Moabite. This is why, although she's seeking faith and is choosing life, we would not say that this is a saving faith yet. Identity is extremely important, and we're going to see it in this passage over and again. Ruth is mentioned as a Moabite. That is her identity. She is not an Israelite. She's not of God's people yet. She is not, she's exploring, she's seeking, she's desiring something, but she has, and she's exploring it, and she's, her heart is good, her feet are in the right direction, but she has not made that full step yet. Identity is important, is important, is important. So she's identified as a Moabite, and this is, so we talked about the saving thing, but, but it's important to understand that, that being linked to a Moabite too, it also points to the fact that she's linked to those who are God's enemy and against Israel. That's why we still say this isn't a complete jumping over and crossing in to a new walk with God. And so what condition do Ruth and Naomi enter chapter 2? They enter, they enter bankrupt and destitute. They enter, they enter bankrupt and destitute. And this is important because there's a provision in God's law, and that provision was that Israel would not strip their fields bare. They would leave the borders of grain and the gleanings of the field for the poor, for the widows, for the aliens to come through and to harvest food. This was God's provision and this was God's care for people who are needy. And you know what? Naomi should have known that. Naomi should have known this 
She should have known and she should have been the one directing Ruth. Hey, there's this provision and there's grain. And remember, Naomi heard that God was working in Israel. Isn't that what lured her back? She should have been the one saying, hey, there's this provision. We should go get grain. But she doesn't. It's Ruth. It's Ruth. I mean, it's possible, and I don't know. I don't know what's going through Naomi's head. There's a bit of, there's a, as I thought through this this week, and again, I, I don't know, I'm guessing, but it's almost like there's a, I, I just, a pity party, pouting maybe. I didn't, you know, this isn't working out the way that I thought. I didn't really want Ruth to come along. I'd rather her stay back in Moab. I'm bitter. I'm angry. And, and she just doesn't seem to, I, I don't know if she maybe felt that she was owed something in all this. I have no idea. But she isn't walking out her lineage, her heritage. She should have known some of these things. Whereas Ruth, on the other hand, who has made a choice of life, that choice of life continues here. She, she has nothing. Ruth has nothing. As an alien and as a poor widow, when she left Moab, Moab, she took a position of destitution. She took a position of neediness. And she can't pretend to be something she's not. That's what she lives out of. That's where she's at. And so she deals honestly with her situation. I'm destitute. I'm needy. And I'm needy for God to intervene in my life. And this puts her in a position to receive, to come open-handed rather than to demand. She comes open-handed rather than demanding. I'm owed this. There's no pride in this. Ruth is like, I'm needy. I need something. I need a miracle. And so she's going to go look for grain. She is going to accept God's provision in his law. So in this, she also is keeping her eyes open for what God might provide. We see this in her saying, let me find someone whose sight I may find favor. Favor would only come as, another word for favor is grace. Only grace and favor come from God. So she's opening herself up to an interaction with God. She's making herself available. She's seeking, she's finding, she's looking. She's looking for life. Naomi agrees and sends her out. And I find it interesting because you remember last week that Naomi had nothing but bless you. May the Lord send you back to Moab, you know, where they kill their children and kill humans as sacrifices and they worship their own gods. Bless you and let me pray for you. Naomi's going out now to glean, glean in the fields and Na there's none of that on Naomi's lips. It's like, go ahead, my daughter. Where's the, I pray that the Lord bless you and help you find grain that he leads you to a place that, that, that shows favor to you. None of that. This is why I feel like Naomi maybe is a little bit sulky. I, again, I don't know. But it, it's not the same attitude we saw in chapter 1. She's kind of down. I mean, she did labor herself bitter, so we can go with that. She's not too happy with life. The author records that Ruth just happened to glean in Boaz's field. 
But this is no coincidence. It's no coincidence because Ruth has opened herself to God. He's, she's opened herself to his leading. And she's opened herself to ending up in a field that's a member of the family, and she's there because of divine appointment. God, I'm open, I'm willing, I receive, and he's directing her steps. He's leading and guiding. Is it her? Yes. Is it God? Yes. So is it her or God? Yes. There's this beautiful mix of the engagement of her will and the working of God in her life. And so what we see for us in this, what we see in the larger spiritual picture is that if we choose life, if we choose God himself over and against our way of doing things, whether those things are good or evil, God will direct our steps and those steps will ultimately lead us to Jesus, his son. Which is interesting because the picture of life really, the picture of the tree of life is really a picture of Jesus. So in choosing life, you're being led to Jesus, to the son of God. Ruth 2, 4 through 7, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge, Who's this young, whose young woman is this? Right? Here comes the hallmark. And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from morning, early morning until now, except for a short rest. So Boaz, the type of Jesus, comes from Bethlehem. Hello, right? His arrival includes the first true words in this book spoken of God. Lord be with you. Not he's dealt wrongly with me, not, the, not painting him. Lord be with you. And I loved it. Daisha, in her names of God this morning, there's one name, Emmanuel. Do you know what Emmanuel means? That was one of Jesus' titles. It means God with us. God with us. When you read that in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And that is Boaz showing up. God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And Boaz, who's that? Hello. <laughs> right? Here comes boy meets girl. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I saw my wife, Jill. She was singing worship, and I was with my parents, and that was my words. Who's that? And my dad leaned over to my mom and said, he's in trouble. And it was good trouble, because it's been 25 years of great trouble. But that's Boaz. Who is that? Hmm. Interested. So also notice, again here, Ruth's identity over and over. She's a Moabite. Moabite from Moab. That's still her identity. And I think it's important to understand that in that identity, it also says that she's working a lot and not taking a lot of rest. Because that's a lot like the life lived without Jesus. 
It's a life full of working and striving and straining. It's exhausting. There's no rest. There's no peace. Even if the motive, which I think Ruth's motive, even if it's a good motive, it's a life of work and toil and not restedness. And as we move through this book, we're going to see that that life can change. It changes for Ruth. So for us, what do we draw for us? Jesus' arrival in our lives is about God being with us. Not the big man upstairs, not somewhere out there, but personally involved, actually within us. And if that wasn't enough that he's in us, we're also in him. And he's in God. So there's like this big, huge, like, I don't know. It's like when you take all the Snicker bars from Halloween and you like push them, you know. It's this big, huge awesomeness. And so Jesus' arrival is God being with us, not separated. Also, he sees us before we ever saw him. Each and every one of you, did you know Jesus looked at you and went, who is that? Who is that? Wow. Who is that? He sees you. He knows your identity. He knew your identity apart from him. And he knows how you've strained and strived to live life and how exhausting that can be. Even if we've chosen a path toward life, we can still strain and strive and work. And it can be done out of our own efforts and our own strength. And it can be exhausting. So continuing on, Ruth 2, 8 through 16. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close by my young women. Let your eyes be on the field let there be, um, that they are reaping. Sorry, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink that the, what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered, All that you have done for your uh, mother-in-law since the death of, her, of your husband has been fully told to me, how you left your father and mother and, how, and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come. Come here and and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. And she sat beside the reapers. And he passed to her roasted grain, which is funny. It's kind of like a popcorn. It's, uh, It's like a roasted rice. So I think it's funny that popcorn's in the Bible. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. 
When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So Boaz approaches Ruth, possibly shyly, kicking the dirt. Hi, I'm Boaz. <laughs> I don't know. Again, I, how do they do it in the Hallmark movies? Like, oh, let me help you with your packages that you dropped. Something happens, right? And he introduces himself to her. Something, something that makes them have some sort of meaning. But then he begins to direct her. And I love this. Don't leave this field, which is don't leave my care. If you're in this field, I will care for you. Follow the other women and learn what it means to be in my fields, how we go about doing things. And he told her she'll be safe. The young men won't harass her in this field. And when she's thirsty, she can drink. And Ruth falls on her face, right? And she knows, she knows that she has found favor and that she, has, that she has found the favor she set out to find. And she knows she doesn't, doesn't deserve it. And she knows she couldn't earn it. Not in a million years. Remember, she's a Moabite. She has no hope. None. And Boaz replies, actually the word that it says he replies is actually that he raises his voice so that everyone else could hear him. He raises his voice, and he wanted everyone to hear about Ruth. And what did he want him to hear about Ruth? How she left her earthly family with the hopes of finding a spiritual one. And that gateway was through the relationship with her mother-in-law, Naomi. How she has chosen God, and how she's shown faith in seeking him. And in doing so, caring for Naomi. But the driver was that she would, would risk it all and throw it all away so that she might find God. That is the choice of life. Ruth says she's found favor with Boaz, but again, notice that she says he's spoken kindly to her because, like, like a servant, but that she's not his servant. This is still pointing to the fact that identity, she's still not, identity, she is still not at a saving point, at a redeeming point. And we also see it too, she calls herself a foreigner. Again, identity in Scripture is important. A Moabite, a foreigner, someone who's not somebody's servant is not fully in yet. But she's in the right place. She's asking the right questions. She's following God's lead and she's expectant that he's going to do something. And he's orchestrating and leading her steps and moving her. Ruth says that she's found favor with Boaz. And that's meaningful to her. Boaz provides for her needs, her physical needs. He provides lunch and leftovers and grain to take home. This, this is something that points to a full provision that's possible in giving herself to him in the long run. I feel you, bro. <laughs> I love it. I love it. 
So he feeds her. He gives her the needs that she has. And, and in doing that, it points to a full provision, a full provision that's possible if Ruth becomes his. If Ruth was to become Boaz's, all of her needs would be met. She would never have another worry ever again. But what he's giving to her now is a temporary provision to show his goodness and love for her. Isn't there a scripture that says we are drawn to God by his kindness toward us? Kindness leads to repentance. He draws us kindly to himself. He doesn't demand, he doesn't force, he draws. He says, will you come? Will you come? And Boaz is being kind to to Ruth. Did you also notice that the part of lunch was bread and wine? Bing, 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 bing. Bread and wine, hello. Communion, a picture of what Jesus would do to be able to make us his. Here, come take your morsel and dip it in the wine. <laughs> in a few of in some time, this will be a much more meaningful meal. Again, look at the bigger spiritual pictures that are going on here. So in this we see that although we may know, we may not know Jesus, he knows us. He knows you better than you know yourself. I think sometimes we think, I know myself so well. God doesn't even have a clue. It's like, oh yeah, all that you think you know about you, God knows far more about you than you know. The good and the bad. And the not so good or bad, just in the middle. He knows it all. And so he knows us and he invites us to not leave his care And I also love the picture of Boaz telling Ruth, follow the young women. They'll show you the way. Doesn't that sound a lot like, hey, I I know Jesus. Let me come alongside you as a brother or sister in Christ and let me put my arm around you and let me show you what it is to walk in step with him. Walking in step with him. And that, that raises those of us who share the message of Jesus, that raises that to a whole nother level because we better know how we're walking in step with him. We better make sure our relationship with him is strong because what we invite others to will be what we have experienced ourselves. You can't give what you haven't received for yourself. And if you're having a hard time giving, you might, it might need to go back to first, I need to learn to receive. Ruth is learning to receive, to ultimately be able to give. And these women who worked in Boaz's field, they had received and they knew how to now give. And so he knows us. Jesus knows us. Even though we may have not known us, he invites us to not leave his care. He's provided others as examples for us to know him. And he will protect us. He will spiritually protect us. And He encouraged her to go get some drink if she needs it. That sounds very familiar. This idea of quenching thirst, John 7, 37. Anyone who's thirsty, come over here and get a drink? No. Come to me. And it's not thirsty for righteousness. It's just thirsty. Any thirst that you have, come to me and drink. 
That's what Boaz is telling Ruth. If you're thirsty, go drink. I've got all the water you need. Go drink. And then he offers to meet her needs in the temporary, but he also offers an offer of meeting all our needs. Jesus in Philippians 4.19 says, all your, or Paul says about Jesus, all your needs will be met in Christ Jesus. We just get hung up sometimes on what those needs are and how important they are and if they really are needs. But all of our need is met in Jesus. And so we see that in this picture with Boaz and Ruth. So our response should be like Ruth's. It should be one of gratitude because we know that we don't deserve it. And that we could not earn it. But we make a decision, we make a choice to open our hands and to receive it open-handedly. Because we're like Ruth, all of us. We're destitute and bankrupt apart from God. We're needy. We're needy people. We're needy people who need Jesus. All right, let's bring it home. Ruth 2:17 to 23. So she gleaned in the field until evening, and then she beat out. I love it. Beat it. Just beat it. Beat it. Uh, get yourself some grain and beat it. Sorry. She beat out what she had gleaned, and this was out. This was about an ephah of barley, and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her mother-in-law the food she had left over, which was the leftovers from lunch, after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with the young woman, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of, of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth finishes out her day, and she returns with an ephah of grain. We all know what an ephah is, right? No, ephah is a half a bushel. Do we all know what a bushel is? Some people do. If you don't know what a bushel is, it's four gallons. A half of a bushel is four gallons, which is 22 liters of grain, plus the leftovers from lunch. So she had enough leftovers to carry two women through a whole week. That's pretty good provision. I mean, I have to sit there and wonder if she thought that Boaz's farmers were really sloppy farmers. Because remember what he told him? He's like, hey, just pull some stuff out and like throw it on the ground and leave it for her to pick up. You know, like, She's like, man, these guys are really bad at picking this. This is What is wrong with them? So Naomi, Naomi can't believe it. And again, did you hear her words? She said in verse, oh, where was it? Verse 20. 
May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Kindness. Naomi can't believe the kindness. And it moves her from bitterness to blessing. She may have thought initially, we're going to make it. Just We may squeak by, but we're going to make it. But then she learns it's Boaz's field, and she realized that Boaz is the one that's been caring for her, and that he's the one that's doing this thing. And she realizes God's on the move. God was on the move the whole time. But Naomi's getting let in on it. God's on the move. God's doing something. Like in the books of Narnia, Aslan is on the move. God is on the move. Something's happening here. And so there was, the reason she feels that way is there was a provision in the law in Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 6. If I put it in the extra verses if you want to look at it later. There's a provision in the law that said, if a man dies, his widow must not marry outside the family. But Mary within the family and the first son she births would carry on the name not of the new husband, but of the dead husband. And that name would be carried on so that that family line would not be blotted out of Israel. And so Boaz is a close relative and she called him the redeeming relative. He has the ability to redeem. He has the ability to fulfill this law in Deuteronomy by marrying Ruth. And this is what's important. You know, we sing songs like there's an older one, my Redeemer lives, right? We sing, but do we know what Redeemer means? I think a lot of times in Christian culture, we hear Redeemer as forgiving me of the bad things that I've done, forgiving me of my sins. I think it's so much more. I think it's so much more. Because if you look at this law in Deuteronomy, Redeemer means the right to bring life out of death. The right to bring life out of death. Isn't death the bigger problem? Separation from God that breathes about death now produces all the bad things we've done. Just trying to address the bad things we've done misses the root problem, the issue, the need for life. And a redeemer who comes in doesn't just go, you know what, you've got a broken bone, here's some uh, painkillers to deal with the pain that's coming from that. The Redeemer comes in and says, we need to set that bone, put it in line, put, it, you know, put a cast on it, let that thing fix, heal. And we'll give you some painkillers to deal with the outcome as well. But a Redeemer has the right to bring life out of death. And that begins to address where we started all the way at the beginning. Two, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. Separation from God is death. We had choices from the trees. And for us to have a redeemer, we need a redeemer who brings life, not living out of the knowledge of good and evil and not a separation from God. That's death. And so Ruth had no hope with the death of her husband. And she had no hope leaving behind her family of origin, leaving behind everything that she had in her previous country. But she left because she had made a choice, a choice of life. She had made a choice for God. Although that choice is tied to Naomi, she made a choice for God. And in that, she was led, of, she was led to Boaz. 
So when we choose life, we're not being led to some religious system. We're not being led to some, here's what you do, here's what you don't do. That's the knowledge of good and evil. We're led to a person. We're led to the person who is the bread of life. What did Jesus say? I am the way and I have life? No, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It is me. I'm the life. And so in choosing life, Ruth is led to Boaz, who is a picture and a type of Jesus. And he is the one who has the redeeming capability in Ruth's life to bring life from death. And so the chapter ends. Naomi encourages Ruth to follow Boaz's directions, and she does. And so that's really cool. To be continued flashes up and will continue next week. Each week, it's like a cliffing. Okay, she's in the field. She's working. What's going to happen? We've got to wait till next week. Can't binge it. Sorry. It's like the new, it's like got to wait for the next release. So that's how the chapter ends. And, and again, we need to now take what's happened in all of this chapter today, and we need to begin to put ourselves in this story. And the first thing that we need to see is our biggest need as people is to be brought from death to life. That is our biggest need. From death to life. And not just in the future when the trumpet sounds. We need resurrection life today. We need resurrection life to face all that we have to deal with, whether it be in the world, in all the things that we're seeing in Israel, or whether we're seeing it in the political environment, or whether we're seeing it right down the street here, or in our own homes. We need a life that's in us that meets that death that comes at us. We need to be brought from death to life, to live as the way God intended us to live in this world. Because this world is full of death. This world is full of separation from God. All you need to do is turn on the TV to figure that out. Our way to have life, though, is not through the management of good and evil. It's not through the management of righteousness and sins. That's a byproduct. The way for us to have life is through a relationship with a person, through Jesus, and through the choice of life, which finds us being led to his feet. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to his father but by him. As we make this choice for life, I don't think we need to try to work this into it or try to make it happen. But you know what's really cool is people like a Naomi in our life may see the, the way that God's directing and working and leading us. And they may be woken up to the fact that I need to choose life as well. And they may be brought along like Naomi through what Ruth's faith has done for her. And so if you want to bring others along in your life, go for it yourself first. And run with reckless abandon toward God, toward life, and toward Jesus. 
And when people see that in your life, they're going to be like, what has happened to you? Who are you? You want to go grab a cup of coffee? I'd love to tell you about it. I mean, Ruth wasn't sitting there, Naomi, let me, let me set you down and give you the, I mean, there's nothing wrong with giving people the points, right? But it was just Ruth's life that was turning things for Naomi. So we're halfway through Ruth. And what we've been looking at, again, where we started, separation from God is death. That was our first starting point. How every choice that we can make in life, our, our, our primary mode of operation, our primary operating system, we're all comfortable with computers, is either an operating system of living out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, measuring every act on a scale of righteousness and sins, good works and evil works, or a primary operating system that's run out of a, a desire for life, for relationship, for Jesus, for God. Those are the two primary, and those two things are driving the courses of our lives. And as a Christian, we can eat from either of those trees, and a lot of times, for a lot of my life, I ate from the knowledge of good and evil, and it was miserable. But eating from the tree of life changes the dynamic of things. So we've had separation from God is death. We've had these two trees and now choosing the tree of life, when we choose the tree of life, we're led to Jesus. That's where we've come through the first three weeks together. So we're halfway there. And this would be a good time for a progress check, for a temperature check in your own life, to take some of these things we've been talking about because these stories are good. They show a path. They help us go, okay, that's a marker, and that's a marker, and that's a marker. When you're doing a hiking trail, you go, okay, I've, got, I've gone a half mile down. I've got, I've got a mile down. I've got a mile and a half. These are mile markers in your journey, in your process. And so it's good time for progress check, for temperature check. Where, where do you find your place on this path? I mean, are you, first of all, are you connecting with Ruth's story? Are you being able to place yourself in it? The spiritual realities that are being showed, are you finding yourself in them? Are you connecting with the spiritual pictures this story represents? And I'm sure that for some of you, what is God showing you or speaking you to you? And I know as soon as I say that, you're all like, boom, there's one thing right there. Right there. You know, I know it. You've all got it. Because I've sat in your, there's right there. Whatever that was, what's God showing you? What's he speaking to you? What's he wanting to work on? To move you along. To grow you. And if it's a voice that's condemning and has a, a tint of you stupid, that's not the voice of God. Boaz did none of that with Ruth. It's a voice that says, hey, we've got some stuff to deal with, but I love you. I'm with you in this. Don't leave my care. We're going to work in this together, and we're going to walk this journey out together. With my arm around you, we're going to figure it out. 
But if you have a condemning voice that comes out as not the voice of God, that is to take, be taken to the thought, every thought captive to Christ, hand that over to Jesus, says, hey, what do you want to do with this? What are you really speaking? I put that voice aside because that's not your voice. So what is God showing or speaking to you? What is that next step he's showing you? Whatever it may be, he's showing it to you because he wants to grow you. When God reveals things to you, it's not for your destruction. The person who's out to destroy you is not God. (laughs) God's purpose is to grow you, to mature you. Romans 8.28 says he'll use everything to that end. So where are you at? What's your next step? And you're not taking that step alone. He wants to take it with you. And so then the final question in that step is, he's showing you what he wants to do, but he's not a divine hostile takeoverist. He's not going to show you and then say, I'm going to do it. He's going to invite you. He's going to willingly engage your will. He's going to bring you in and say, do you want to join me in this? And so the question is, do you want to join him in what he's showing you? And a simple yes will suffice. A simple turn of the key and then the engine takes over. Lord, I see what you're showing me. I see what you want to do in my life. I see how you want to grow me. I choose to join you in that and I choose for you to lead me and to guide me although I'm not worthy, although I haven't had done it all perfectly all the time. I choose to trust you that you are doing a good work in my life and that you have promised you'll complete that good work to the end but you're not going to do it over and against me at my resistance. I choose to join you and walk in step with you, not against you. If you need help, talk to me. Talk to Robin, talk to Brad, talk to Bruce. Those of you online, you know, hit up your your host, if the host can't help you, I'm sure that they can give you my contact information or Bruce's contact information, and we'd love to talk with you, pray with you. If we're a little intimidating, grab one of the, your life group leaders if you're in a life group, or grab somebody in this congregation that you trust and know. Let them encourage you. Let them pray for you. Let them walk alongside you. Because they may be the women or the men who've tended the field before and who know how to live in the field of Jesus. Can I pray for you? Let me pray for you. Jesus, this is so good. This is so good. And we are, this story is building, the story of Ruth and Boaz, and it is, it is moving towards the powerful powerful opportunity for Ruth's life to be moved from death to life. And Father, I know each and every person in this room has a unique, different story and situation where they fit into the story, but the the markers are there. And Jesus, I know when I ask if there was something that you're showing them, that you put something right there, right at the forefront of their mind. I pray that they'll say yes to you. 
I pray that they will engage with you, that they will have an interaction with you, not for destruction, but for life, that they will seek to find you in new and amazing ways, not just some cold religious philosophy, but a relationship with a living, vibrant person who loves them beyond any way that they could ever imagine or think or know. Jesus, you're so good. You're so good. And we thank you that you have provided this picture for us to be able to learn from. In Jesus' name, amen.